What's going on, you guys, and welcome back to the Home Field Podcast. I know it's been about a week or so since I've released the last episode that I had. Just had the flu last week, and it would have been kind of a struggle to put out an episode with just my voice sounding like garbage. So we are back, and we are going to talk about week six in the NFL. We'll go over the scores a little bit. We'll also get into the best and worst performances of the week from the NFL. And then we'll wrap up the last part of the episode with this argument that I've been seeing on social media the last couple days on whether or not Michael Jordan is no longer the greatest basketball player of all time because LeBron has taken that number one spot after he won his fourth NBA championship with the Lakers. So with all that said, you guys, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and let's get to it. All right, so like I said in the intro, we'll go over just the scores first, and then we'll go over the best and worst performances of the week. So we'll start with the Titans and the Texans. So the Titans won 42-36. to The Ravens won 30-28. to The Falcons won 40-23. to The Steelers won 38-7. to The Colts beat the Bengals 31-27. to the Lions beat the Jaguars 34 to 16. The Bears beat the Panthers 23 to 16. The Giants won 20 to 19 getting their first win of the season. The Broncos beat the Patriots 18 to 12. The Dolphins shut out the Giants as excuse me shut out the Jets 24 nothing. The Bucks beat the Packers 38 to 10. And then the 49ers beat the Rams 24 to 16. So, all in all, it was pretty straightforward except for a couple surprises. Really, the surprises were the 49ers and the Rams. I thought the Rams were going to win that game fairly easily just because of all the injuries that the 49ers have had. But the 49ers pull out a good win here. I thought Jimmy G looked pretty good too after that terrible week that he had last week. Um, other than that, just looking around the league, I thought the uh, the Lions had a great game. Just truth be told, when I look at the Jaguars, the only thing that I can look at with the Jaguars is is that they make me think of like a black hole. I really don't know much about the Jaguars outside of Gardner Minshew. It's just it seems like that team just doesn't really do anything that special to me. So the only thing I could think of with the Jaguars is a black hole because. I just don't know really anything about them. And then, other than that, the Falcons got their first one of the season. I thought Matt Ryan looked pretty good as well, too. And just the, the Vikings. We'll get into the Vikings in just a couple minutes. The Vikings looked absolutely awful yesterday. So, other than that, just around the league, Broncos got a surprise win against the Patriots. Obviously, we'll get into the Patriots in a couple minutes as well. But let's get into the best performances of the week. So like I said, um, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll basically just pick three teams here that I thought had really good performances. And then after that, I'll flip it over to the worst performances of the week by three teams. So we'll start with the Buccaneers. I thought the Buccaneers had an outstanding game against the Packers yesterday. The Packers were actually the favorite to win this game. And 
going into this game, I thought that the Packers were going to get this win in a very close shootout. Because honestly, I thought that both defenses would kind of struggle against both Brady and Rodgers. And that, that didn't happen to be the case. Apparently, it was really windy yesterday. And granted, I live in Tampa. So, it did get windy yesterday. And it definitely affected the passing game. But, the Bucks looked outstanding yesterday. So, I thought Brady looked good. He was 17-27 through 166 yards. Through two touchdowns on top of it. So, it didn't seem like, from a statistical standpoint, that Brady had the best game. But he was efficient and made plays when he needed to. They got good production from Ronald Jones, too. Had 23 carries for 113 yards and two touchdowns. And then on the receiving side of the ball, I thought Gronk had probably his best game of the year so far. Had five catches, 78 yards, and then got a touchdown. And not only that, just to flip it on the defensive side of the ball, the Bucks probably played their best defensive game of the year yesterday. So they were able to intercept Rodgers twice. One of them ended up being a pick six that really turned the dynamic of the game because at that point, the Packers were up 10 nothing. They were marching pretty much up and down the field in the first quarter without really any resistance from the Bucks defense. And then once the Bucks got that pick six, it really sparked some life for the Bucks, and then they really never looked bad. They ended up scoring 38 unanswered points. The defense just was outstanding really from that pick six on they were able to sack Aaron Rodgers five times and they basically were able to keep Aaron Rodgers at rhythm the entire day and the offenses really couldn't get anything going even in the second half I thought the second half the the Packers would make a push but the Bucks defense was just outstanding yesterday so yeah so really one of the better performances of the week the Bucks definitely get it here Four and two to start the season, and they are perfect three and zero at home. So moving on, we will move on to the Titans and the Texans. So the Titans, I thought, had probably one of the better performances of the week, simply because of two people: Ryan Tannenhill and Derrick Henry. Because the defense had an atrocious game as far as I'm concerned, giving up 36 points. Now, granted, I know it's Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson's one of the up-and-coming stars at the quarterback position. And I understand that this is a divisional game as well. But giving up 36 points at home, that's the defense could, could have done a little bit better there. But, I mean, it was really a two-man show with Tannenhill and Derrick Henry. And I can't believe I'm saying that Ryan Tannenhill was the star of the show. It's just crazy for me to actually say that. So... Tannenhill was 30 of 41, threw for 364 yards, had four touchdowns, one interception, and then probably really the MVP of the game was Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry had 212 yards and 22 carries, had two touchdowns, including a 94-yard touchdown. I forget which quarter it was, but had a huge run for a 94-yard touchdown. And really late in the fourth quarter, they had to rely on Tannenhill to march them down the field to get them in the position to tie the game. And once it got into overtime, I mean, it was Derrick Henry all the way. So he got a, he had a nice play where they had Derrick Henry uh, run on the flat. He was able to break free, had a nice 
35 to 45 yard reception. And then to really cap off the drive in overtime, ends up getting the game winning touchdown on top of it. So he just, he, I mean, at this point, I can't really say other than the fact that Derrick Henry is the best running back in football. This guy has been an absolute tear to start the season. And then in week six, caps it off with a 200-yard performance and two touchdowns. I mean, find me a better performance than that. This guy is just an absolute monster. Just not from a physical, like, not from a physical size perspective. Just what he does on the field is just has been incredible the last six weeks to start the season. So... With that, the Titans moved to 5-0 and on the season. And like the Bucks previously, they are also 3-0 and at home as well. And then we move on to the, the last, what I thought was the better performance of the week. This was kind of a surprise because I thought the Rams were going to run away with this game fairly easily. But the 49ers proved a lot of people wrong and had, I thought, one of the better performances of the week, beating the Rams 24-16 to at home. So, I thought Jimmy Garoppolo had a much better day at the office than he did last week. Because last week, he ended up getting pulled for C.J. Beathard in the second half after just an awful performance. But he bounces back in a big way. Throws for 268 yards. Threw three touchdowns on top of it on 23 completions. So, I thought Greg Kittle had another good day. Had seven receptions for 109 yards and also got a touchdown on top of it. Then Raheem Mostert had 17 carries and 65 yards. I believe he did end up getting hurt again. I saw the tweet by Adam Schefter. I I kind of w- watched this game like in parts, so I didn't watch the game the entire way through. But I did see the tweet that Adam Schefter said that he was ruled out. So I wonder if he injured his knee again. It wouldn't surprise me that he did. But really, really a gutty performance by the. The 49ers here. I thought the Rams were going to win this one fairly easily, but 49ers end up getting the win. They moved to three and three on the season. And at this point for the 49ers, with all the injuries that they've had just across the board, especially on the defensive side of the ball, the fact that they're three and three at this point is somewhat of a miracle. I got to give a lot of credit to Kyle Shanahan and the coaching staff to kind of keeping this team afloat, especially in the division the NFC West is it's probably the best division in football right now so give a lot of credit to Kyle Shanahan and that coaching staff for getting this team prepared for Sunday night football and getting a good win against a division rival like the Rams and then we flip it to the three worst performances of the week and unfortunately I start with my team with the Patriots the Patriots had an awful performance yesterday I am not going to give the excuse that this team has been struggling because of the COVID issue. Granted, I know the Patriots have had a lot of positive tests the last couple of weeks with COVID. And it you can make a point that just with all of the uncertainty that COVID has had on the team, with the team missing practices, team not going into the facilities, and just going in on random days, Leading up to this game, you could say that that may have played an impact here. But you're playing against the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos are not that good of a football team. To be honest with you, the Broncos should be 1-4 after this game. But the Patriots just did not play well. They really didn't have any rhythm yesterday. 
I thought Cam Newton just just looked out of sorts. You could maybe blame it on COVID, but I just think that with that time off, he should have had a better performance yesterday. Now, granted, he was the leading rusher on the team, 10 carries and 76 yards and a touchdown, but just passing the ball, just wasn't able to get it done. Only 157 yards passing, had two interceptions on top of it, and it seemed like they had to check it down a lot yesterday. Their leading receiver was James White yesterday. So he had eight receptions for 65 yards. And it it's difficult for me to say this because the Patriots have had such a dominant run in the last 20 years. And this is one of those games where the Patriots should have won fairly easily. And I'm not going to use COVID as an excuse here. This is a game that they should have won. It was probably one of the more uglier games that I've seen by the Patriots in a very long time. And as of now, they are 2-3 and three to start the season. They are 2-1 and one at home, so they have been playing well at home, but yesterday they just did not play well. The defense did play, I thought, really well. We were able to get a couple of interceptions on Drew Locke yesterday. I mean, you hold the, you hold the Broncos to 18 points. You figured you'd win about 75% of those games holding the opposing team to only 18 points. But the offense needs to step it up. They've got to get better production from the receivers. The receivers are just not getting the separation that they need to. And they're going to have to get more out of the running game because they are putting a lot of weight on Cam Newton's shoulder to run the ball. I know a lot of these are design runs, but they've got to, they've got to do something about the running game too because it can't just all be Cam Newton. So... Yeah, I could go really into detail about the Patriots just playing like scrubs yesterday, but I'm going to leave it there. So then we move on to the Vikings here. So, oh boy. Now, statistically, Kirk Cousins did bounce back a little bit, but that first half by Kirk Cousins was absolutely atrocious. Throws three interceptions in the first half of the game. And really... From that point forward, the Vikings were playing catch-up the entire game. So, at the end of the first half, they were down 20 to nothing. And, I mean, the Falcons put up 40 points on that defense. Now, these two teams are kind of interesting because there was some hype between both teams going into the season that they would have decent starts. Now, obviously, the Falcons... I'm not really focusing them. I'm not focusing on them here. I'm going to focus on the Vikings. The Vikings, I thought, would have had at least a decent start to the season, like somewhere like a three and three start, maybe a four and two start. And this team, it just sucks. They're one and five to start of the season, and the only bright spots on the team so far have have been Justin Jefferson and then maybe Dalvin Cook, but. I mean, their leading rusher yesterday was, I think it's Alexander Madison. I think that's his first name. He only had 10 carries for 26 yards. Now, I understand that they were down the entire game. They had to basically throw the ball to kind of get back into the game. But Kirk Cousins has been just absolutely awful. I mean, he even said it after the game. If he keeps playing at this pace, he's not going to finish the season as a quarterback. And... This team, I think on the offensive side of the ball, they really miss Stephon Diggs. And I think just 
if you if you had Stephon Diggs on this team and you pair him with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson on top of it, that's one of the best wide receiver combinations in the league. And it's just it's just this team just doesn't have any rhythm. And you could put a lot of it on Kirk Cousins' shoulders. He's not playing well. And I'm really until this team turns a corner turns a corner with the quarterback play, I just don't expect them to really have a productive season. I mean, at this point, I could see them probably going like four and twelve or five and eleven if they keep playing like this. I mean, this team. I'm not going to say they're a dumpster fire like the the Jets and the Giants. They're not at that point yet, but I mean, they're not that far away from it. So they, they got to turn things around quick, fast, and in a hurry. So, yeah, the, the Vikings need to step it up. They they need to they need to find something out. I don't know what it is, and maybe a quarterback change could be the spark that that team needs. But I just don't think that they're going to bench Kirk Cousins after paying him all that money. So. We'll move on to the final performance of the week that I thought was pretty bad, and it's going to be the Packers. I just thought the Packers, mind you, they're 4-1 to start the season. So their season is in no way, shape, or form in any sort of trouble. They're number two in the NFC North. They're going to be a playoff team regardless. They've had an outstanding start to start the season, but they did not play well yesterday. Aaron Rodgers... Was only 16 to 35, 160 yards, two interceptions. And it was so weird because they started out like a house on fire. And then after the picks, that first pick six that Rodgers threw, it, it just seemed like the Packers just couldn't get anything going. And not only that, on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, they gave up 38 unanswered points to the Bucs. Now, I understand that the Bucs have Tom Brady and they have a really good offense, but giving up 38 points, especially, especially 38 unanswered. That is, it's a little troubling because the Packers from a statistical standpoint have been one of the better defenses to start the season. However, a lot of the times that defense has had a cushion throughout most of the game because the the Packers offense has been running on all cylinders so far. And I, the one thing that really stood out was that, the, the Packers couldn't run the ball. Aaron Jones was pretty much held in check. I mean, Jamal Jamal Williams was their, their leading rusher yesterday. And he only had four carries for 34 yards. I think if they were able to run the ball a little bit better against the Bucs, which is kind of an uphill battle because the Bucs are, are one of the better run defenses in the league here. So they definitely had their work cut out for them to get, Adam, uh, to get Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams some space to to get a couple good running plays, but just weren't able to run the ball effectively yesterday. And then it was windy, like I said earlier, and I think that definitely affected the passing game because I think everybody was kind of expecting a fireworks show on the passing side of the ball when you have Aaron Rodgers going up against Tom Brady. But Brady, but Aaron Rodgers looked fairly pedestrian yesterday by only throwing those 160 yards and those two interceptions. Like I said, though, this is just a bad game by the Packers. I'm not really thinking that this is going to be some sort of trend that continues that could derail their season. They're probably going to bounce back next week, and they'll probably be fine. They'll, they're going to be fine moving forward. It's just they got to just clean some things up, and as long as they can run the ball a little bit more effectively 
next week, that team's not going to have any issues moving forward. So that'll wrap up the best and worst performances of the week. And then what we'll do here is we're going to just do a quick preview to the Monday night games. So we actually have two pretty decent games. The first game that we have is going to be the Chiefs versus the Bills. And then we have the Cowboys going up against the going up against the I believe the Cardinals. I was going to say the Panthers. They're going up against the Cardinals. So we'll start with the Chiefs and the Bills. I think looking forward to this game. This is going to be an interesting game simply because can the Buffalo Bills stop the Chiefs offense in Mahomes? And throughout most of the season so far, the Chiefs have been running on all cylinders. Patrick Mahomes has looked outstanding, like his usual self. And from the run perspective as well, I think Clyde uh, Hilaire Edwards, or Edwards Hilaire, I, I think it's Edwards Hilaire, they've all had good starts to the season. However, they are coming off their first loss last week to the Raiders, where the Raiders did put it on them by scoring over 40 points. So the defensive side of the ball and the Chiefs are definitely going to have to figure some things out. But the Bills are definitely going to have their work cut out, trying to slow down that Mahomes offense. I think for the Bills, the best thing that they can hope for is slow Mahomes down as best as you can and then hope that Josh Allen slows the tempo of the game down. Because if you're able to slow the pace of the game down by either running the ball effectively or just getting kind of like like small little chunk plays here and there. I think that's really the one way that you could beat the Chiefs. Now, the Raiders were able to beat the Chiefs by just outscoring them, which is very rare because the Chiefs are one of the one of if not the best offense in the league. And their defense usually comes up big in certain situations of the game. However, the Bills have the offense to do what the Raiders did last week. Surprisingly, the Bills have had one of the better offenses to start the season. You've had Josh Allen, who's had a hot start to, to the season. The Stephon Diggs connection has been big. And if they're able to continue that success moving forward, the Bills can definitely win this game. I don't know if they will, but they definitely have the horses here to make it happen. And especially with that defense. That defense is top five, top ten in the league. And they are more than capable of slowing Mahomes down. So if I had to give a quick prediction to this game, I mean, this is a tough one here because they're both 4-1 and one and they're both very good teams. I'm going to give the edge to the Chiefs here. I think the Chiefs are going to bounce back from that loss to the Raiders last week. I think this is going to be a very close game, though. I think it is going to be a higher scoring game. If I had to say, I'm going to say probably like 33-27. to 27. I think I think it's going to be a back-and-forth game, but I think the Chiefs do end up getting the win here. But don't be surprised if the Bills get this win. The Bills definitely have the players and the personnel to get this win against the Chiefs. So I'm not, I'm not holding out. I'm not really holding out against the Bills. I just think the Chiefs are going to be just a little bit better than the Bills here. And then we move on to the Cardinals and the Cowboys. Now, this is going to be an interesting game because obviously – this is the Cowboys' first game after Dak suffered that gruesome leg injury last week. And for the Cowboys moving forward, with Andy Dalton at the starting quarterback position, I think for the Cowboys here, 
they have to run the ball again. This is something that I think the Cowboys have not really been doing well. Really, you could probably say like the last season, really over the course of the last season. Just because I think they have gotten a little bit too pass happy with Dak. And I think they've been putting a little bit too much pressure on his shoulders. I think they need to give Ezekiel Ezekiel Elliott some carries here. I mean, if I'm a Cowboys fan, I'd probably be expecting the Cowboys to give Ezekiel Elliott 25 to 30 carries a game. He's more than capable of doing that. They're playing at home. And I think here, if they're able to get good runs from Ezekiel Elliott to start the game, then they don't have to rely on Andy Dalton carrying the team. I think if they're able to get good balance on the offensive side of the ball, I think it works out well for the Cowboys. Now with the Cardinals, the Cardinals are no are going to be a tough matchup for the Cowboys here. So Kyler Murray has had, has had a good start to the season. They're currently 3-2 and two so far. And I think for Kyler Murray, as long as he's able to limit his turnovers, he's able to get some good scramble plays if he ends up throwing it on the run or if he is able to pick up some first down using his legs, I think they'll be fine. I think if they keep uh, Kenyon Drake, getting him good carries is going to be a huge focus on them. I think against this Cowboys defense, they'll definitely be able to exploit certain weaknesses in that defense. I do expect Kyler Murray to definitely throw on this team, though, because the Cowboys secondary is very weak, and basically the Cowboys have gotten in the shootouts every game that they've been in so far. So I, I do expect a high-scoring game. I wouldn't be surprised if Kyler Murray throws for at least two or three touchdowns this game. However, I'm going to pick the Cowboys here. I don't have a lot of confidence in that pick, though. I think the best thing that they could hope for is to pound the rock with Ezekiel Elliott and hope that Andy Dalton doesn't revert to what he was last season with the Bengals. And if they're able to get good, consistent play, from both Andy Dalton and Ezekiel Elliott. I think they'll be fine here. I think also I think CeeDee Lamb is going to be a, a, a matchup nightmare for the Cardinals just because he's been a monster so far to start, start the season, especially last week after Dak got hurt. He was he was sensational. And you can never forget about Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper is always a reliable target to hit. So if I had to pick a score here, I think it's going to be a very high-scoring game like most of the Cowboys games have been. So I wouldn't be surprised if if it's like 34 to like 28. I think it's going to be a very high-scoring game just because the Cowboys defense always gives up points. And I wouldn't even be surprised if the Cowboys give up 30 points here as well. So, But I got the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys win barely. And then that'll wrap up week six in the NFL. So... We're going to move on to something that I was going to talk about last week, but I just, I had the flu last week and I just was, I was going to try to do it on the last episode, but I just, I, my voice wasn't there to do it. So it would have been an absolute struggle to get through this whole, this whole debate that I've been seeing on social media the last couple of days, but we're going to focus on this argument on whether or not LeBron James has surpassed Michael Jordan as the greatest basketball player of all time. And it is an absolutely ridiculous argument. 
I absolutely hate the fact that I have to talk about things like this. But there has been this groundswell of attention that LeBron James, after winning his fourth NBA championship with the Lakers, that he is now the greatest player that has ever played the game of basketball. Now, here's what I'm going to define it as. I think LeBron's era has been an era of greatness. He's been the ten, he's been the ten finals in his career. He went to eight straight finals from 2011 to 2018, and throughout that time, he's been sensational. I mean, he's essentially he essentially owned the 2010 decade. However, the only difference is, is you're comparing him to the greatest basketball player that ever lived. I mean, I'll go as far to say this: I think LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of this generation. However, when when you're talking about the greatest of all time, I mean, it's just, it's a tough argument because you really have to, you really have to split hairs here in every single category. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to focus on just a few categories between Michael Jordan and LeBron James. So first I'm going to start with their stats. So their career stats are very impressive. So we'll start with Jordan first. Jordan's averaged, he averaged 30 points a game throughout his entire, through the entirety of his career. He also averaged six rebounds a game and five assists per game. Compare that with LeBron. LeBron is averaging 28, seven and seven. So he's been outstanding. And it's like, they're very similar to one another. They're very similar to one another. And then if you look at their career totals, LeBron has averaged, I mean, excuse me, LeBron has 34,000 points, which is third all-time. Jordan has over 32,000, which is fifth all-time. And then if you do look at the rebounds and assists, LeBron does have over 9,400 rebounds, which is top 50th all-time. And then Jordan has over 6,600, which places him in the top 150. He's currently 140th. And then their assists, LeBron does have the edge. He's top 10 all time in assists. He has over 9,300 assists to Jordan's only 5,633. That's still top 50 in NBA history, but LeBron does have the edge. So, and then kind of keep going down. Statistically, LeBron does have the edge as far as this GOAT conversation goes. Because in the playoffs, LeBron is first all time in points with over, with almost 7,500 points. He's sixth all-time in rebounds with over 2,300. And then he's second all-time in assists with over 1,800. He's only trailing Magic Johnson in that category. Now, in the playoffs, Jordan averaged 33 points a game. LeBron in the playoffs is averaging 28, 9, and 7 to Jordan's 33, 6, and 5. Now, you could make an argument that LeBron is definitely... I guess more of a, a team player in a sense because he's averaging more rebounds and more assists per game. But what Jordan was able to do offensively in the playoffs is damn near impossible to replicate. I mean, LeBron's best playoff game that I can remember was that 51-point game that he had in game one against the Warriors a couple of years ago. I mean, there was a point where Jordan averaged 41-8-6 against the Suns in, I believe, the 91-92 finals. I mean, just crazy, crazy numbers from Jordan in that one finals matchup. 
And then if you look at their final stats, like I said, they're very similar. Jordan averaged 33, 6, and 5. Excuse me, 33, 6, and 6. LeBron averaged 28, 10, and 7 in the finals so far. And in the finals, LeBron does have the statistical edge, though, because he has been the 10 finals. So he's second all-time in points. He's fourth in all-time in the finals with rebounds. And then he's second all-time in assists. Compare that to Jordan. Jordan has just under 1,200 points in the finals, which is currently fourth all-time. He has 211 rebounds, which is tied for 29th with Kobe. And then he has 209 assists all-time in the finals, which is seventh in NBA history. So overall, when it comes to their stats, I would say that as far as average-wise goes, I would give a slight edge to Jordan just because that he's averaging over 30 points a game. However, from the total statistical standpoint, as far as totals go, LeBron does have the edge. He's played in more games in the in the playoffs, and he's played more games in the regular season as well. LeBron has played 17 seasons in the league, and Jordan only played 15. So I guess the key there is LeBron's longevity. LeBron has definitely showed that he's been one of the more healthier uh, he's been one of the more healthier basketball players in the league, and he's been one of the most consistent basketball players of all time. However, and this is where I think LeBron starts losing the greatest of all time debate. You pair that, so if we look at LeBron James, LeBron has four NBA titles, four MVPs, four finals MVPs. He's been to the All-Star game 16 times. He has... 13 first-team NBA awards. He has five NBA defensive first-team awards. He's also been the scoring champion once. And he's also led the league in assists one time, which I believe was this past season. Now we compare that to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan has six titles. He has six finals MVPs. He has five regular season MVPs. He's been to 14 All-Star games. He's been on the NBA's first team 10 times. He does have one defensive player of the year award. And then this is where this is where I think Jordan starts getting the separation. Jordan has nine NBA defensive first teams. And then he has won the scoring champion. He was a scoring champion 10 times in his career. Which is two-thirds of his career. He played 15 seasons. He won the scoring title two-thirds of the time in his career. Which is absolutely ridiculous and then on top of that he led the league in steals three times just just crazy just this is where this is this this to me is where Jordan starts winning the debate because he's got LeBron in titles he's got LeBron in finals MVPs he's gotten LeBron in regular season MVPs He's, got, he's absolutely demolished LeBron in the scoring title. He's beaten him in the defensive side of the ball by getting one defensive player of the year award. And then a defense, and then he's won the def- defensive first team award nine times to LeBron's five. And then he led the league in steals three times. It's just, this is where I believe he is, st- he is still the greatest as far as the achievements go. The achievements part, is where Jordan dominates LeBron as far as I'm concerned. 
And then just for me, when I look at the impact of the game, really, what have these two done to impact the game to push it forward? I'll start with LeBron here. So I think LeBron in this sense, I could consider him, he's probably one of the greatest team-oriented players that I've ever seen. You can make a very good case that he's the like the greatest team player of all time. In in some sense, he's kind of like Magic Johnson in that way. He's very big on making the right play and not always focusing on himself. And I get that. So there may be times where a lot of people may think that he should drive it into the lane and be selfish with the ball and try to win the game himself. However, sometimes what he'll do is he'll make the right play by kicking it out and then relying on his teammates to make some shots. So sometimes, in LeBron's case, it's not always on him. Sometimes he'll make the better play, and sometimes you just you live and die with the results. Compare that with Jordan. To me, this is where, at this point, nobody will be able to replicate what Jordan's impact to the game of basketball was. Nobody. The reason why Jordan, in my eyes, is still the greatest basketball player of all time is because he is single-handedly responsible for innovating the modern style of how basketball is played. Because up until really the mid-80s, basketball was largely focused on big men. So players like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, those guys were all centers, and they were all either like 6'11", 6'10", or 7 feet and above. And in large part, they dominated the NBA. And you could make a very valid argument that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar may be the greatest basketball player of all time just based off of what he's done from the achievement standpoint and what he's done statistically. Because if you look at what he's done with LeBron and Michael Jordan, he has more rebounds and more points than both of them. And he has more titles and more MVPs than Michael Jordan. However, if you the reason why Jordan's still the GOAT is because when Jordan came into the league, there was nobody athletically like him. Even Larry Bird had referenced him as like God disguises Michael Jordan. And he was much more different than a lot of the players that came into the league. He was 6'6", but could jump with relative ease just because his athletic ability was far superior than anybody that had come into the league at the time. And the way that he was able to change the game, his shooting was on point, his overall defense was on point, even his three-point shots, which a lot of people may consider a weakness of his. He still averaged the same three-pointing percentage as Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest basketball players and one of the best shooters to ever play the game. So if, if people want to nitpick and say that it is a weakness of him, it, it doesn't seem like that much of a weakness. And to me, I don't even think Jordan has a weakness. It's very hard. You'd be very hard pressed to actually find a weakness in Michael Jordan. And really, the only one that I could really think of off the top of my head is maybe his three point shooting. But outside of that, Jordan doesn't have any weaknesses. And 
Jordan dominated the game of basketball unlike anybody has. Once they started winning, in an eight-year span, he won six NBA titles. Michael Jordan is responsible for two three-peats in eight years. The only time there's ever been a three-peat in the NBA was when Kobe and Shaq did it from 2000 to 2002. Other than that, that's it. Jordan is responsible for two out of the three three-peats in NBA history. He's been, absolutely dominated the 90s. And it didn't matter who they were matched up against in the finals. He won all the finals in six games or less. He never got to a game seven. He always finished off the series in six games. And you compare that with LeBron. LeBron has had an outstanding run. However, he has been had. And now you could say that some of the teams that he's gone up against were more superior, like the Golden State Warriors. And listen, I give him credit for just making it to the finals. I, 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 don't, I don't use this argument that if you get to the finals and you lose, that's somehow worse than not getting to the finals and not even being a part of the finals. I, I, to get to the finals is an impressive feat. So I don't use this argument that, oh, you only get to the finals, but you lose. That's somehow a detriment against your legacy. No, you still made it to the finals. You went through freaking eight, nine months to get to, the, get to that point. Yeah, it didn't work out for you in the end, but it's still something to hang your hat on to get to the finals. But when you compare Michael Jordan and LeBron James, Michael Jordan had an era of dominance. LeBron James is in an era of greatness. And that to me is where that's the difference. When Jordan started winning titles, he dominated the league unlike anybody has. And when LeBron James started winning, LeBron has won NBA finals, but he has not dominated the league. He dominated the Eastern Conference, but not the entire league. Michael Jordan did it to the entire league. And nobody has ever been close to replicating the success that Michael Jordan had on the basketball court. So I think at this point, it's fairly obvious from the argument that I've made. I got LeBron number two all time, and then I got Michael Jordan number one. And to me, statistically, LeBron hasn't beat, but Jordan has LeBron beat as far as the achievements go and as far as the impact of the game of basketball goes. Nobody, and I haven't even talked about, I, I haven't even talked about what Michael Jordan did outside of basketball, just as far as like his brand goes. And I, I, I haven't, I've done the same thing for LeBron. I haven't even talked about what he's done off the court either. I'm just talking about what they did on the court. When you can innovate a completely different style of basketball, and then that style becomes the modern day play of the NBA, that is something special. And nobody has has gotten close to that. As in even in LeBron's case, LeBron will never be able to replicate that. So as far as this goat argument goes, I got Michael Jordan all day in this. The only way that LeBron James could maybe make an argument to get this closer is that he gets a three-peat. If he's able to win a title this upcoming season and then he wins another one, and then at that point he would have six titles to match Jordan, maybe that's a better argument. Maybe for him, but 
as far as I'm concerned, Jordan is still clearly the number one greatest player of all time. And I think it's just ridiculous that so many people are caught in this prisoner of the moment mindset that LeBron wins his fourth title, then he's automatically the greatest basketball player of all. He's the greatest basketball player of all time. It's just, no, it doesn't work like that. You have to look at the entire body of work. Jordan won all of his titles in 13 seasons. It took 17 years for LeBron to get four. It's, it's, it's just not even close. It's not even close. Once Jordan started winning, he never took his foot off the pedal. And in LeBron's case, you know, he's had a great era. Don't get me wrong. He's had an amazing era, but it is not anything close to what Jordan has done. And to be honest with you, I don't think anybody will be ever able to replicate what he did. So we're going to wrap up the episode here. I want to thank you guys for listening into the episode. So looking forward to what we have for the rest of the week. Um, I'm going to try to do probably another episode or two this week just because I only did one last week because of the flu. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to do what I was supposed to do last week with the power rankings for the NFL. I will definitely do that on the next episode. Definitely get that taken care of. And then moving forward, I'm going to try to get into the World Series a little bit. Granted, I I haven't really watched a lot of playoff baseball this year. And just overall, I'm just not big into baseball like I was when I was younger. But we do have a good matchup going into the World Series. We got the Rays going up against the Dodgers. Both of these teams just came off a a seven-game series in both the ALCS and the NLCS. So this will be a very interesting matchup moving forward. And then since the Big Ten is coming back later in the week, I will definitely get into college football a little bit more. The reason why I haven't been getting into college football is just because the season has been so segmented, which is only a couple conferences playing and not the entire Power Five conferences all playing at the same time. So it just hasn't been the right time to really focus in on college football yet just because I just don't think that it's all the way there yet with all these conferences playing together. So I'll definitely try to make inroads into college football in my next episode. And then I may focus on some other things, but we'll see where it goes. Outside of that, I want to thank you guys again for listening in. Um, definitely going to try to make more episodes this week, and we'll see, uh, we'll see how it goes. So thank you guys again, and take it easy.